before we get into our message, I, I do want to say a couple things uh, with respect to, to youth camp. Uh, so, so first of all, I, I want to thank everybody who went. I want to thank all the counselors in particular. I had everybody... I had, hold on just a second. Hold on just a second. I want all the counselors to stand up. I had everybody stand up last week. If you were a counselor this week, you, you gave your week. So you can, you can sit down. So truly, thank you. I want to thank you on behalf of this church. We want to thank you. Giving up your week, investing into our kids uh, is, is, a, is, a, is, a great, is a great thing. And so um, as a church, we are thankful for you. You should, you should be thankful for them, as particularly if you had a child uh, that went, because they did an awesome job. I went up there for one day and got to spend the day with them and got to see them interact with the kids, and, and uh, it was a joy uh, for me to be able to see that. So thank you for that. Um, next, I want to address all the campers. So we have the junior high, we have uh, uh, Extreme over here, we have Ignite over here. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm looking both ends. But... Um, I just want to encourage you for a second to not lose sight of the, everything that God did in your life this past week. Uh, the, I want to read a verse for you. It's Proverbs 23.10, written by Proverbs, written by Solomon, the wisest man in the Bible. Proverbs 23.10 says, Remove not the old landmark, and enter not into the fields of the fatherless. And, and landmarks have, you know, something, have a particular meaning in the Bible, and, and, and for us, those, those landmarks, uh, as we apply them to ourselves, are those, those places and those times in your life that God worked on you, God revealed something to you, God spoke to you. And if last week was one of those landmarks, one of those landmark times in your life, I want to encourage you not to remove it. Remove not the old landmarks. And Solomon says there's safety there because he says, um, in, and enter not into the fields of the fatherless. And so there's safety in those landmarks where God has showed himself, he's revealed himself to you because as, as soon as you remove it, as soon as you move away from it, you lose track of what God wants to do in your life and you'll start drifting back into the world. I mean, that's the fields of the fatherless. That's what the world is. It's a place of no authority. It's a place of no purpose. It's a place of no direction. And I know that many of you are excited now but Satan knows that as well. And he wants you to forget the landmark that God established in your life last week. So here's how to avoid it. You keep coming around. Keep coming around. Show up on Wednesdays. Show up on Sundays. And place yourself in a position of accountability to the counselors that love you and to your peers that desire the same things as you. And that, that's, how you'll, that's how God will continue to build into your life. Keep showing up. Don't quit. Get your friends to come and, 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 and invest what God did in you uh, into them. And you guys are the future. You're the future of this church, and, and we need you. We are better because you are a part of this church. And so we need your excitement. Lord knows we need your energy, even though it might be down a little bit right now. Um, but we need it focused in the right direction. So I'm praying for you guys. Um, we have extreme, they're going to go up to their room, so I ask them to hang around just for the few minutes, so you guys can be dismissed. They're going to enjoy their time together um, this morning. But for the rest of you as they're leaving, if you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we've got two more messages out of this chapter. We're going to study verses 12 through 20 this morning, and then next week we'll, we'll finish out the chapter. But if you've been coming for the, the last few weeks, you should know pretty well by now the context of what we're looking at in, in, in chapter 11. Paul is defending his apostleship, and he's trying to protect his flock from false teachers, those that were trying to move the Corinthians away from what Paul had invested in them, from what Paul knew to be true. And in our text this morning, Paul is out and he sets out to fully expose them, to expose these false teachers for who they are and, and for what their motives are. You know, last week we looked at the marks and the motivation of the biblical leader. Today we're going to get to see the other side of that and we're going to see the marks and the motivation of the false leader. 
And we need to be made aware of what that motivation is. We need to be aware of what those marks are. That's why I've titled this message, The Wisdom of Exposure. The Wisdom of Exposure. Because Paul is very wise in what he is doing here. He's trying to show the Corinthians. He's trying to expose these guys to the Corinthians and show them for who they really are. And the Corinthians weren't being so wise because they had been listening to them. So they needed Paul's wisdom. And so he's doing his job as a shepherd to help them out. And listen, sometimes a little exposure is all you need. Sometimes it can be hard to see how things actually are at first. But once you've been exposed to the truth, well, your eyes are opened. And you have to then do something with that information. Because as the old saying goes, things aren't always as they seem. And that, that is a true saying. Sometimes there are two ways to view things. So, so let me give you an example. We have a slide, a picture uh, of a slide. So some of you have probably seen this before. But what do you see here? So I'm, I'm going to ask, how many people see a rabbit? See a rabbit? Okay. How many people see a duck? Okay, so a few more with a duck, but, but some with the rabbit. So here's, you know, if you're looking at the rabbit, this is his eyes, his ears, he's facing this way. If you see a duck, you know, this is his, this is his beak, you know, he's facing this way. So you got a rabbit looking one way, you got a duck looking the other way. And if you only saw that picture one way, it's just because you hadn't been exposed to the other side. You see it as you see it, and you hadn't, oh, you're like, oh, okay, now I see it. You hadn't been exposed to the other side. And that same principle is true in life and ministry as well. Like I said a second ago, sometimes things aren't always as they seem. And Paul wanted to expose, and what he wanted to expose was that while these, these false teachers, they, they wanted the Corinthians to believe that they were rabbits, so they made themselves look like rabbits, they were really ducks. So he exposes the other side. And in doing so, we get some good principles to, to help us be able to spot a false teacher, a false minister. Like I said, we saw what a true minister was last week. This week we get to see what a false one looks like. So let's read our passage. We'll get into our study. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 12 through 20. The Bible says, But what I do, that I will do, that I may cut off occasion from them which desire occasion, that wherein they glory, they may be found even as we. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. I say again, let no man think me a fool. If otherwise, yet as a fool, receive me, that I may boast myself a little. That which I speak, I speak it not after the Lord, but as it were foolishly in this confidence of boasting. Seeing that many glory after the flesh, I will glory also. For ye suffer fools gladly. Seeing ye yourselves are wise, for ye suffer if a man bring you into bondage, if a man devour you, if a man take you, if a man exalt himself, if a man smite you on the face. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask you to, to, to be with us this morning. We're so, we're so thankful that we have an opportunity to gather in, in your house. And, and Lord, so we ask that your Holy Spirit does the work of a teacher this morning to teach us your word and to teach us the things that, that we need to be able to see in, in, in the lives of, of people that sometimes are, are a little bit, uh, little bit difficult to distinguish sometimes. So Lord, I just pray that, that your Holy Spirit will do that work. I pray that everything that is said is true to your word and that you are glorified and honored in it. I pray that you work on all of our hearts. I pray certainly if there's anybody in here that doesn't know you as Savior, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will do that special work to convict them of their sin and their need. Uh, for a savior. Lord, we love you. We ask you to be with us this morning. We ask all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So Paul starts out this passage. He starts out in verse 12 by basically saying, I'm here to expose the fakers. I'm here to expose the fakers. No cap. And I know you don't know what that means. I'm not even 100% sure I know what that means. I just promised some kids that I was going to say it this week. 
So I think I got it in the right, is it right context kind of? Yeah, thanks guys, thanks Eric, appreciate that. Now, now they're going to try to get me to say something that I probably shouldn't say, but don't worry, I'll, I'll do the research before I say it. Um, but he, he says he's going to expose them. And the first thing we see, our first point for study this morning, is that Paul exposes the arrogance of false ministers. The arrogance of false ministers. And look at how he does it. In, in verse 12, he says, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. I'm going to, I'm going to keep teaching you guys. I'm going to keep telling you the truth. I'm even going to keep this crazy foolishness of boasting that I'm doing here for a minute. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing to cut off or to stop any occasion. And I love this next phrase. It's where we see their arrogance. He's going to cut off from them which desire occasion. Let me tell you, that's a rich sentence right there. Because you need to beware of anyone who desires an occasion. It means a spotlight. That means a stage. That means an opportunity for them to shine. Now, what it doesn't mean is someone who desires to be used by God. That's not what it means. It doesn't mean someone who wants to follow God's call on their life. Paul even said in, in 1 Timothy 3 verse 1, this is a true saying, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. But there is a word in that verse, in 1 Timothy 3.1, that provides an important differentiation for us between a true minister and a false minister. And that word is work. Because one difference between a true minister and a false minister is how they work. You see, if a false minister doesn't desire a work that 1 Timothy 3 says, a good work. It doesn't desire a work from God. Or they don't really desire to work, not according to how the Bible defines it in 2 Timothy 2.15 as a workman to, to study to, so that to not be ashamed. And so they don't desire that kind of work that the Bible lays out. What they really desire is an occasion. And they desire a spotlight. And it's because of their arrogance. It's fleshly. The word occasion that we see here in verse 12, it's translated this same way seven times in the Bible. And every single time, it has to do with the flesh. It has to do with sin in the flesh. Two of the times you see this word is in Romans chapter 7. That's Paul's dissertation on the battle between the spirit and the flesh and how the flesh just wants what it wants. And Paul was even saying, even when he tries to follow the spirit, the flesh is still present just nagging him every step of the way. And he said this in verse 11 of Romans 7. He said, For sin, taking occasion by commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. And the commandment is another word for the law there. And, and he is just saying that once the law made us aware of our sin, that sin took the spotlight. Sin took an occasion to rise up in our life. And sin always leads to death. We know that. In Galatians 5.13, Paul said, for, for brethren, you've been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. You see, it's, it deals with the flesh. And it is the flesh, it is sin that desires an occasion. And it's deceitful. Because when you give into it, you can even deceive yourself. You can even deceive yourself into thinking that it's okay. I mean, it's just liberty. It's just my liberty. No, if it's, if it's desiring an occasion, it's the flesh. And it's sin. But the flesh only thinks of the flesh. That's how arrogant it is. We've talked over the past couple weeks about the selflessness of Paul and the selflessness of Christ. I mean, that's certainly not how you are able to describe a false minister. Because they desire an occasion and they just can't help themselves. And Paul doubles down on this assessment in verses 16 through 18. He says, I say again, let no man think me a fool. If otherwise yet as a fool receive me, that I may boast myself a little. And that which I speak, I speak it not after the Lord, but as it were foolishly in this confidence of boasting, seeing that many glory after the flesh. I will glory also. 
And these verses get to, to some of what we talked about last week, so I'm not going to rehash all of that, but just how Paul was boasting about himself and comparing himself with those false ministers because of the danger they presented. He was doing it for a very specific reason. But I, I just want you to consider for a second what exactly it was that Paul was boasting about. And we went through this last week, but what he was boasting about was his generosity and his selflessness and his humility, how he wouldn't take money from them, how he refused to be a burden. And, and you know, we talked about sort of how, you know, that juxtaposition of, of you know, I'm, I'm the most humble guy I know. But, you know, we, we talked about why Paul was doing that. He, he was doing that because of the danger these guys presented. We're going to see that even a little bit later in this verse. But with these other guys, he says, they glory after the flesh in a completely different way than Paul. He said, I'm going to glory also, but it's in, and it's in fleshly things, but it's not after the flesh. Paul was glorying in, in what God had done through him. And there's a difference. You see, Paul was just following Proverbs 26.5. It says, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own deceit. But these other guys were boasting of their human achievements, not spiritual characteristics. They weren't boasting of what God had done for them. They, they were not boasting about what God had done in them. They were not boasting about what God had done through them. Why? Because as far as we know, God hadn't done anything. He wasn't working through those guys. When, when it came to the church in Corinth, God was working through Paul. And that's even true through Paul's admission in verse 17 that his speaking was not after the Lord. And so let me just say that does not mean that he was disobeying the Lord. It doesn't mean that at all. It certainly does not mean that this section of Scripture uh, wasn't inspired by the Holy Spirit. Of course it was. Every word of, of the Lord, every word of God is inspired by the Holy Spirit. He's not saying that at all. He's just saying that he had no model of Christ doing this type of boasting. Paul tried to model Christ as closely as possible, and so he was just admitting there was no record of, of Christ doing this type of, of foolish boasting. But again, he was doing it as a last resort because he felt like he had to. And the fruit proved it. The fruit proved what, what he was doing was right and what these other guys were doing was wrong because God was working through him. We've talked about this. You can look at Paul's life. You can look at Paul's ministry. It's unquestionable that God was working through him. And I know that he wasn't working through these false ministers because I know that they were not true to the word of God. And God works through his word. God works through men and women that are true to his word. And I, here's how I know that. Because you see, in verse 18, Paul said that many glory after the flesh. Well, we saw this same many earlier in this book. And, and look at what they were doing in 2 Corinthians 2.17. For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity but as of God, in the sight of God, speak we Christ. You see, these false ministers, they corrupt the word of God. And we see examples of them all throughout Scripture. And so there are a lot of examples we can use. But, I mean, Paul says there are many. There are many of them. But, but let me just give you a couple examples. There is a guy by the name of Hymenaeus and Alexander. And, and, look, and here's what Paul has to say about these guys to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. He says, Holding faith and a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck, of whom, is, of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. You see, when it comes to faith, when it comes to faith to the word of God, these guys have made shipwreck. And, and what a word that is, man. Shipwreck. And I believe in context, shipwreck is when a man who is a leader uses his power to take liberties with his conscience. And, and I don't have time to explain all that, but just in the context of that passage, having that good conscience. And he takes liberties with his conscience because of his own arrogance. And his conscience becomes seared because he's not willing to submit to the word of God. And so he corrupts it for his own personal benefit. 
Paul talks about Hymenaeus again in 2 Timothy, and there he's with another guy, guy Philetus, and, and Paul said they have erred concerning the truth. They got it wrong. And today, a Hymenaeus, you know, maybe he disputes, disputes what we teach about Calvinism, or he doubts what we teach about the premillennial return of Christ. He, he errs in holding the faith. You know, he's OMO, like original manuscripts only. And he overthrows the faith, and he shipwrecks some who, who used to know better. Because, because, again, I want you to pay attention to that word shipwreck. That, mean, that means everyone who stays on board that person's boat is in danger. What a shame. You know, as Christianity as a whole... We're losing people around us all the time to shipwreck by guys like this. To arrogant false ministers who corrupt the word of God and drag people down with them. And listen, don't think it's not calculated. And I'm not saying there aren't innocent people that that just get things wrong. Many, I'm sure, have good intentions. But there is no doubt that there's a strategy being employed. And it starts all the way at the top. And that brings us to our second point regarding the marks and the motivation of false ministers. And here in our second point, Paul lays out the attack of false ministers. Look back at verse 13. He says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, don't be surprised by this, For Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. You see, don't don't ever think that this stuff is innocent. There's an agenda going on behind the scenes, in the spiritual background, so to speak. That gets to the theme of this chapter on wisdom and the discernment needed to be able to see beyond the physical realm and into the spiritual realm. And we're dealing with physical people, but the attack is spiritual. It's 2 Corinthians 10.3 again. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. It's Ephesians 6.12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers, of, the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So the attack in this realm is, is spiritual. It's a spiritual attack that Satan is ultimately behind. In verse 13 of, of 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he calls them false, false apostles. It means they have a religion. It's just false. And it's deceptive. We've already talked about back in verse 4, it includes another Jesus, another spirit, and another gospel. Revelation 2.2 calls them liars. It says, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, how, how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. Listen, I'm just giving you what the Bible has to say. God doesn't look kindly. On, on men who desire an occasion and, and corrupt his word for their own benefit. They're liars. They're false. Their, their end is according to their works. We're going to see that. And they're deceitful workers. But they transform themselves into the apostles of Christ. And the, that word transform here means to disguise. Remember they're ducks trying to look like rabbits. But what it really means is they're hypocrites. You see, a hypocrite isn't someone who's a Christian, but they mess up from time to time. And so, you know, their life doesn't always reflect Christ like maybe it should. That's all of us. That's not a hypocrite. Here's here's the definition of a hypocrite. A hypocrite is someone who pretends to be something which they are not. They transform or disguise their true self when they are at church. And don't be surprised by this. No marvel. They're just following their leader. And that's exactly what Satan has done since his initial interaction with Eve back in Genesis chapter 3. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. 
This is his battle plan. This is how he attacks. It's through subtlety. It's, it's moving away from the simplicity that's in Christ. It's through deception. He's the greatest deceiver of all time. Revelation 12, 9 talks about it. And like I said, it started all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, and it is still going on today. And he's trying to fool you into thinking that it's Christian, that it's godly. I mean, those false apostles weren't coming in the name of Satan. They were coming in the name of Christ. But it's a disguise. And like I said, they're just following their leader. And I want to show you some of the ways in which Satan disguises himself as Christ. He's done it all throughout time. Because first of all, Paul says here that, that Satan transforms himself into an angel of light. Now, I want you to know this morning that, that Satan is not an angel. Not even a fallen angel. Because even before the fall, detailed and described in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, he wasn't an angel then either. He was a cherub. And we don't have time to take you through all that this morning, but angels and cherubs are different things. So additionally, so he wasn't an angel. Additionally, he isn't light. We already read Ephesians 6.12 that he's the ruler of the darkness of this world. The Bible consistently says that when you get saved, you leave darkness and you enter light. That's leaving the devil's family and being a born again into God's family. One of many examples, Colossians 1.13, talking about our salvation, says who had delivered us from the power of darkness and have translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. But do you know who is an angel and who is light? Jesus Christ. And, and I know some of you might be thinking, you're thinking, wait a second. Jesus, I don't think Jesus is an angel. I mean, angels are created beings. Angels worship Jesus, you know. Wait a second. They're saying he's an angel. And, and while all that may be true, angels are created beings, the pre-incarnate Jesus is called the angel of the Lord throughout much of the Old Testament. But not only in the Old Testament, look at what Acts 27, 23 says. And this is as part of God saving Paul from shipwreck. Paul says in Acts 27, 23, For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve. Listen, Paul does not belong to, nor is he serving, Gabriel or Michael or any other angel. That is Jesus Christ. Galatians 4.14, Paul says, And my temptation, which was in my flesh, he despised not nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. So he's comparing himself. He said, you received me as an angel of God, just like, just like Christ Jesus. So yes, Jesus is God, and the Son of God, and the angel of God. And I don't know how all that works, but I know that's what the Bible says, so it's true. Jesus was an angel, Satan was not. Jesus is also light. We could take you to so many verses to prove this to you, but let me just give you one section. John 1, verses 6 through 9. So there was a man sent from God whose name was John, John the Baptist. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light, capital L, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. You see, Satan transforms himself into an angel of light, small l. Jesus is light. He is the light, capital L. But not only that, the Bible says Satan is a god, little g, 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4 in whom the God of this world, that's Satan, hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. But Jesus is the God, capital G, 1 Timothy 3.16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God, capital G, was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into the glory. This is Jesus Christ. Satan is a lion, small l, 
1 Peter 5.8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, small l, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Jesus is the Lion of Judah, capital L. Revelation 5.5, 5, but one of the elders saith unto me, weep not. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. Satan is a prince. Small p. John 14.30 says, Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince, small p, of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. Speaking of Satan. Jesus is the prince. Capital P. Isaiah 9.6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And this goes on and on. There are other details. Let me just show you a couple. Uh, Both Satan and Jesus were anointed. Speaking of Satan in Ezekiel 28.14, says, Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. And I have set thee so, and thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down the midst of the stones of fire. So he was anointed. He was an anointed cherub before the fall. And Jesus is also anointed. Hebrews 1.9 says, Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. That's speaking of Jesus. And then on the other end of the spectrum, we see all these similarities. We see all in the names and in the capital letters and the small letters and just through the characteristics. Let me give you one more, just one more example. Both Satan and Jesus were serpents. And you might think that's a weird one, but, but listen. Speaking of, of Satan, we know this. Genesis 3.1 says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said. And it goes on from there. That, that's Satan. Well, speaking of Jesus, in John 3.14 says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And that verse has a specific context and a specific meaning. Many of you understand that and what that means. But, but here's just what I want you to get out of all of this. Is that Satan tries to make himself look like Jesus at every turn. And he, he becomes that, transforms himself, he disguises himself into that angel of light and, and, and a roaring lion and a god and a prince. And at every turn, he's trying to look like Jesus. He's trying to imitate Jesus. That's why Paul said in, in verse 15 of 2 Corinthians chapter 11 that he has ministers too because Jesus does. But listen, in the end... Their attack isn't going to work because the Bible says their end will be according to their works. And that's, that's not a good thing for them. Uh, and it's not a good thing for us, by the way, when we desire an occasion and when we corrupt God's word for our own benefit. That there's not a good end to that. Whether you're saved or lost, there's never a good end to that. Let me show you some verses of how Peter describes it. Second Peter chapter 2 is a, is a great chapter on false teachers and, and, and false ministers. And that whole chapter really is devoted to describing various aspects of these guys. But, but in verses 20 and 21, he says, For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness, and after they have known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. Their end, the latter end, is going to be worse. Their end is according to their works. And whether lost or saved, if if, if they're lost, they're going to face eternal damnation and hell separated from God. If If they're saved, the Bible says, at the judgment seat of Christ, there are those that will suffer loss. Their end is according to their works. Assuming they're not saved, here's what their works are going to get them. Revelation chapter 20, verses 13 and 14. And by the way, this is what works will get anybody who are counting on them to, to get them to heaven. Revelation 20, verses 13 and 14, it says, And the sea gave up the dead 
which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Every man who stands before Jesus Christ at that great white throne judgment will be judged according to their works. And no works are good enough. Only the work of Jesus Christ. Only the finished work of Jesus Christ. Look at what Jesus says to, to, to these guys, to the Pharisees in his day in Matthew chapter 7, verses 22 and 23. It says, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many, for, many wonderful works? Verse 23, And then while I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. So we need to be aware of their attack, that we need to be aware of their transformation, the disguising. And, you know, we've talked about how they come with flattering words and fair speeches and deceive the simple according to Romans chapter 16 and verse 18. And you need to see, you need to biblical wisdom, godly wisdom to see them exposed so you don't suffer shipwreck like them. But I just want to give a word of encouragement to those of us out there fighting them every day. We can at least rest assured that our end will be better than theirs. And I'm not even saying that's godly. Uh, you, know, I, I don't des- you know, I don't desire that for them, per se. But listen, their end is according to their works. But, but here's the thing. I mean, truly, we can't get caught up in all that. That's between them and the Lord. That's way above my pay grade. That's way above your pay grade. And so we have to be back to today. We, that's where God wants us to focus. And I'm like Paul, I'm worried about you getting caught up with them today. And Paul said back in verse 3 that he feared for the Corinthians and that they would be beguiled like Eve. And I think verses 19 and 20 tell us exactly why. And it gives us our third point as Paul finishes up this section of Scripture by describing the abuse of the false ministers. Abuse. Look at verse 19. He says, For ye suffer fools gladly, seeing ye yourselves are wise. For ye suffer if a man bring you into bondage, if a man devour you, if a man take you, if a man exalt himself, if a man smite you on the face. Now, Paul starts this out in verse 19 with another shot of sarcasm here because Paul really didn't think the Corinthians were being wise in this situation. But here was the problem. They thought they were. They thought they were being wise because they were suffering these fools gladly. And I like saying that sentence, but it's what the Bible says. So they were suffering these fools gladly. That means they were putting up with them. They were allowing this to go on gladly, not even reluctantly. But Paul said they thought they could handle it. They thought everything was okay because they thought themselves wise. And here's what you need to understand about that and what I need to understand of that. Many times we think things of ourselves that actually just aren't true. And and we see things in other people many times in the same vein that just aren't true. And we're quick to to point out and, and, and pick out something bad in someone else, but somehow we don't see it in us. You know, let me give you a hint. That other person probably isn't quite as evil as you think they are, and, and you probably aren't quite as righteous as you think you are. Because, and I just say that because our wisdom sometimes need to be, needs to be checked, especially in this Laodicean church age. It's why we have to stay close to the Bible. It's why we have to stay true to the Word of God. Because in, especially with everything going on around us in this time, it's tough to get the wisdom of the world intermingled and mixed in with the wisdom of God. That's, that's the Laodicean church age. Revelation 3.17 says, Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. That's, I mean, that's what they think of themselves. The Laodicea church age as a whole thinks these things of themselves. Here's what God says. And know us not. You don't even know this. You cannot even see that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. You can't even see it. You don't even know it. Because you've got your, your, the wisdom that you've got. You've got it mingled in from the world. 
And you're seeing things now the way the world sees them. It's why we need wisdom from above. We have to be able to discern these things. And so let me, but let me bring us back to, to our point because because all that about, you know, I, I talked about how, you know, sometimes the other person isn't quite as evil as you might think they are, and you're not quite as righteous as you think you are. Here's where that's not true. That's not true of false ministers. They're probably much worse than you think they are. And this gets to the main thrust of this point. They're abusive. Look at, look at verse 20 one more time. That's a strong word, but it's because Paul uses very strong language. If you suffer, if a man bring you into bondage, if a man devour you, if a man take you, if a man exalt himself, if a man smite you on the face. Paul said, you're putting up with these guys. You're suffering them gladly who are bringing you into bondage. They're devouring you. They're taking from you. They're exalting themselves. And they're slapping you in the face while doing all of it. And the point here is that false ministers always thrive on authoritarianism, on control, and while veiled, ultimately abusiveness. Now, from a historical perspective, the bondage that Paul mentions here is, is likely the same bondage that he dealt with in Galatia. In, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, Paul told them to stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And that yoke of bondage where it was those trying to add the law back into grace. Right? It was sort of modern-day legalism, adding rules or regulation to, to salvation, to keeping your salvation, to proving your sanctification, those sorts of things. And so that was certainly going on here in Corinth as well. And so from a historical perspective, that's the bondage very likely that he's talking about. But I also believe it goes much deeper than that, at least in application for us, because I think it's quite typical of false ministers to exercise a level of control that results in spiritual bondage on a number of levels that, that you see play out in cultic-like fashion. And just that, that, that level and that desire of authority and control, um, it ultimately just gets abusive. And they manipulate to serve their own means and their own motives, and it's devouring. And, and listen, God uses no words on accident. Every word is measured by the Lord. Every word of the Lord is pure. Every word. And because this devouring is their ultimate motivation, because that is Satan's ultimate motivation. Sin leads to death. His motivation is, devour, is to devour. We read in 1 Peter 5 eight earlier, we described him as the counterfeit lion. But look at that verse again. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh, walketh about what? Seeking whom he may devour. He's just looking. Jesus used that same terminology in, in relation to the Pharisees in Luke 20, 40, 47. He said, the Pharisees are those which devour widows' houses. For a show, make long prayers, the same shall receive greater damnation. He said those Pharisees, that they were stealing from the widows. They were devouring widows' houses. And they were making long prayers because they just desired an occasion. But he says the same shall receive greater damnation. Again, that's what their end will be. But while they're here now, they can do damage with their abuse. And because of the damage that can be done, I, I, I want to show you what the Bible says the remedy is. There's a remedy that the Bible gives uh, about this danger. Because abuse is a bad enough thing that it must be addressed. That's why Paul is addressing it with the Corinthians. And when giving Titus instruction on how to lead, Paul told them that, that these false ministers have to be stopped. Titus 1, verses 10 and 11, he says, For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision. Again, that gets to that, that same yoke of bondage. Whose mouths must be stopped. Who subvert whole houses. Teaching things which they ought not. 
for filthy lucre's sake. And the word for, kicking off that verse, the first word of that verse, for, is an explanatory term giving the reason why true leaders and true ministers must be men of the book. And why the word of God must have absolute authority in the life of a church. And it's because people can be abused. People can be abused from this position. People can be abused by, by leaders that don't do it according to what the book has to say. And if people don't follow those who know the word of God, they're susceptible to follow ones who don't. And that can lead to shipwreck. In the book of Titus, and, and the, the book of Titus, God tells Paul, or Paul tells Titus, that he's to set in order things that are Crete. That's the, that's the context. He's, he's turning over these churches in Crete to Titus, and, and he's telling them, you've got to set this in order. You've got to set things straight in these churches. And, and listen, the, the other churches God's responsible for, but the churches I, that I've given to you, you've got to set them in order. You've got to make sure things are right. And the book of Titus and, and the book of, of 2 Corinthians here, these last few chapters, are set for that reason too. To set in order the, at the Corinthian church. To set in order the things that were in Crete and Titus. And listen, both of those books were, were written not even 30 years after you know, the beginning of Christianity, so to speak. After Christ's death. Yet like we talked about earlier, there were already many of these people in existence. And Paul says, if, if in your churches, they've got to be shut up. And those are strong words from Paul. Their mouths must be stopped. It needs to be muzzled. That means we cannot let into this church deceit, misleading communication, and rebellion against Bible principles. The church's job is to be the pillar of truth in the community. So if people aren't telling the truth, they cannot have a platform here. And like we discussed last week, the issue in a biblical church is not as much how something was said, but whether what was said was right. The issue is to evaluate things based on truth because people need substance, not style. And yet that's a problem we see in, in today's Christianity. Unfortunately, many church members today want vain talkers leading them. They need Bible students. The unruly, vain talkers and deceivers, they don't convert they subvert, and they subvert whole houses, whole churches. The word subvert means to overthrow. In fact, that's how it's translated the only other time it appears in the Bible. That's 2 Timothy 2.18. Who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection has already passed. This is, again, talking about Hymenaeus and Philetus that we talked about earlier. This is what these guys were saying. And overthrow the faith of some. They subvert and overthrow the faith of some. Convert is to turn around. Subvert is to turn under. It's shipwreck. It's flipping over the boat. And guess what? They do it by, according to Titus 1.11, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. That means there's always an agenda behind it. And they're doing what they do for a reason that is not righteous. You usually just have to follow the money. Paul says they must be stopped. At least in your church, they must be stopped. He told that to Titus. See, one of the things the church has to be serious about is what is taught. And whatever is taught has to be true to the word of God. That's the remedy to the abuse. Their mouths must be stopped. Not with violence, not even by censorship, but by trained men who can give the answer for false teaching and the answer is sound doctrine. The answer is the word of God, rightly divided, expositorily presented, and led and taught by the Holy Spirit. That's it. But it has to be done. These false ministers are arrogant and fleshly, and they have a plan of attack. And the attack includes deception to the point of shipwreck in your life. But before the ship fully sinks, they will abuse you along the way. They seek control. They seek authority, usually for filthy lucre's sake. And they're not looking out for you because they do not love you. 
Only biblical ministers do that. The, the marks and motivations of both of these groups are completely opposite. As opposite as Christ is from Antichrist. So know them. Know the marks of a biblical minister. That's what we looked at last week. But it's also important to know the marks and motivations of false ministers. Because as the song goes, we've got a long ways to go and a short time to get there. We don't have much time to waste being on the wrong road, following the wrong guys. So we've got to make sure we get this right. We've got to make sure we understand it. And so we're going to close out here in, in, in a song in just a minute. But, but before we do that, I, listen, I understand that this message was certainly not a gospel-centered message. <laughs> not even necessarily a message to, you know, convict you personally necessarily. It was, it was more informative to just try, I, I wanted to try my best just to give you what the Bible had to say about these guys that, that, that Paul was talking about, these false ministers. And, and there's some harsh things to say about them. And I say it because I love you. And I, I don't want you getting caught up in, in all of it. Um, so I understand that it's sort of a different type of message today. But I also know that every time the Word of God is opened, um, which I believe to be every Sunday here, that, that the Holy Spirit has an opportunity to work in our hearts and to work in us to change us personally, and, and God can take his word, and it never returns void. The, the Bible tells us that, and, and can, can do his work that, that we could never understand. And so, man, I, I want you, every Sunday, including today, I want you to take this time to honestly evaluate yourself, to honestly evaluate your life. First of all, for anybody here, I want you to honestly evaluate whether you've ever been born again. Has there ever been a time that in faith, you have, you have given your life to, to Jesus Christ in faith in what he did in, in exchange for your sinful life. The cross for the criminal is an exchange of life. And if there's never been a time that, that you have accepted him as your Savior, man, I, I want you to think about that today. And then for the rest of us, those of us that have done that, I want us to evaluate our life too. And I want us to say, man, is there something that, that God showed me today that I need to change? that I need to work on in my life. Maybe I need to, to work on, and this is, man, this is true of, of many of us, that just the flesh is always at work and desiring an occasion. There's some things that maybe all of us need to work on. And I want you to evaluate yourself in that every Sunday, and if God tells you and, and is convicting you and showing you something, man, I want you to get it right with him. Like I said, we're going to sing that song, and the song is, is, is always just a great way to, to close out uh, the service, but, but it's not just that. It's also a time for you to, to do that, that, that time of personal evaluation. And so I encourage you to do that this morning. And if you need to get something right with the Lord, get it right with him. Do it there in your pew. You can always come front. We're, there's a bunch of us down here. We'd love to talk to you. If you, want, if you need someone to talk to, if you don't know what it means to be saved and that doesn't make sense to you, we'd love to show you any Sunday. And, and if you need to get before the Lord, why don't you, why don't you do that e even this morning?